you're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Welcome to the Manjeet Minhas podcast, a show where I sit down with different industry experts and business leaders to hear about their journey. This episode, I sit down with Tom Kaiser. He was the CIO for The Gap and Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works and the CIO and COO of Zendesk. Recently, he became the CEO of Hootsuite, one of Vancouver's most notable tech success stories. Tom, welcome to the show. Really, where I want to start is you have such a diverse background. As I was doing your um, research, I really was pretty impressed with where you have been. And it seemed maybe to the outside looking in that it has been a bit of everywhere. I'm sure though, it ha- there's more method to the madness. And, and so talk to me a little bit about where you grew up, the early beginnings of who Tom is. Yeah, I grew up uh, in uh, the Southeast of the United States. So my parents were from Birmingham, Alabama. And I was born actually on a, a U.S. Army base in Frankfurt, Germany, while my dad was in the military. And then I grew up between uh, Birmingham and Pensacola, Florida, um, and went to, to university uh, at Auburn University, which is in Alabama, and then University of West Florida. And when I was getting a degree, it was the early parts of programming becoming a, a real degree. So computer science still wasn't quite a thing. Most of the engineering programs were really about building computers and machine-level language. Um, The University of West Florida had a program that was taught by primarily Navy veterans, uh, and it was around assembler and COBOL programming, and it was tied to the business school, which I was interested in. So I went that route and, yeah, and then kind of launched into a, a career. And so then, then the career was a series of curiosities for me. The first job was working for the local telecom so in the, in the Southeast, so moving to Birmingham, back to Birmingham to work for the local telecom on billing systems. At that time, you know, Windows computing and client-server computing was starting to become a thing. So I got recruited to go to Atlanta, which in the Southeast of the U.S., Atlanta is kind of Mecca that everybody wants to go to for for jobs. And at that time in the late 80s, early 90s, it was, it was, Atlanta was growing like crazy. So it was a different world than the world that I'd grown up in. So I moved to Atlanta and joined Ernst Young uh, and got introduced to more modern technologies and applying technologies to solving business problems. And that took me, took me everywhere. Did you always have an interest in the back end, like how things were built? That engineering mindset, like you said back then, it wasn't about technology necessarily. It was called that, but it was about how things were being built to make business um, more streamlined and easier and compatible with everybody working. And and you must have done a lot of learning on the job, I guess, back then, right? Yeah, I, I like solving problems, and solving problems with technology allowed you to do that at at scale. It, it was I, I was I. I started at Ernst & Young kind of on the bottom and got to learn how to to drive change, how to kind of be a part of a team doing a change uh, with a small group and just kind of over 12 years and all over the world doing all kinds of transformations, got to experience that at different levels and different scales. I spent four years with Ernst & Young in Europe working with the Coca-Cola bottling system and the Coca-Cola company across all of Europe. I was living in Copenhagen, but I was responsible for all, all of our work in Europe and the Middle East from a consulting standpoint. 
working in the beverage industry. So I was doing a lot of work with Coca-Cola, but I was also doing a lot of work with breweries. So I got a, a, a broad range of experiences. And I learned from, I'm not a very good academic student. I learned from doing, and I learned from working with people that are smarter than me on the things that work and, and don't work. And so it was a great education for me going through Ernst & Young with so many different opportunities to to try to drive different forms of transformations to help businesses operate better and applying more and more sophisticated technologies and processes and techniques and change management to making those things happen. As you're talking and, and you're talking about your journey and the companies that you worked with early on and then and then migrated to to well, Coca-Cola is a big company to begin with, I guess. Um, but to the Gap and L Brands and 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 so how did you decide to to take that path and to to switch careers and and titles and roles and take on new challenges? I, I get that the days of sticking with a company for decades and decades are are are, are far and few between, but. Back then, I feel like they were still there. We were still there. And so what interested you in, in changing rules? Yeah, I remember when I went to work for the local phone company, my dad reviewing the benefits. was like, you're set for life. This is like the perfect job. And his dismay after I was there three and a half years, was like, I have to go do something different. His dismay that I was leaving such a great opportunity behind and and leaving so much of the what his perception of um, safety was because he was used to kind of working effectively with no net underneath them and working in a big company a public utility you would have a net underneath you I think I've always been uh, curious I've had a desire to to be close to where the action is yeah and so that's always kind of driven me and consulting was a great bridge for me because I was part of one company for 12 years, but I got to do 50 different jobs with all kinds of different companies. So it was a great, great training ground for me. And it led me to that decision of, okay, am I ready to step out of this consulting, which I had gotten really comfortable with and I was very successful with, to go go live it and do it inside of a large company. And that was how I ended up at Limited Brands which is called L Brands now, which was, you know, helping work on a strategy for their executive team and them saying, you know, it's a really interesting idea. Why don't you, why don't you join us and make this happen? And so that was, I kind of backed into operational and change management inside of a larger corporation off of, of the back of that. So yeah, some of it is a shorter attention span to things, but part of it is, you know, getting bigger and bigger opportunities to to have a more material impact and to help things operate more effectively. And so what have you discovered you're good at? What are your skill sets that that you're able to bring into a new organization? You know, my my retail experience at both Limited Brands, which was Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works. And at the time I was there, it was also Express and Limited Stores and you know, a few other big brands along the way. And then at Gap, which was Gap and Old Navy and Banana Republic. I've always brought in a, a relatively expectation of me and a high expectation of the people that I've worked for. I've always ad- ad- admired them. So approaching things from a very humble uh, and somewhat, you know, amazed, <laughs> that, like I'm in the room with these people working on this. And 
I've I've over the years gotten comfortable working and then leading uh, teams and people who are way smarter than me, who know way more than me, uh, and getting really comfortable with being very inclusive in how you go about coming up with solutions to solve uh, solve big big problems. And I think that approach, as opposed to approaches which I've been surrounded by by my entire career, which is people needing to have the glory, needing to understand everything and be the the face on changes has allowed me to have success in 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 all the places I've I've worked. But my success is really measured in the success of the the company as opposed to me getting a lot of accolades associated with that. And I find that in doing that, I also get to work deeply with people and develop people and position them and set them up for for success as well. I really love that. Yeah. I, I love that because my mentor always has said to me that you need to listen to understand, not listen to reply. And I think that so many of us around the table, no matter what our title or role is, we're listening usually to reply rather than understand. So I think that's, that, that's really insightful. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that when I was younger and much more aggressive, it was a little bit harder to do. It's something that I've learned over time with experience to, to, to slow down. Uh, you can slow down and still go fast um, and slowing down uh, around listening and making sure that you're, you're getting as many of the, the points of view as possible allows you to go faster and it allows you to bring me more people along with you on on the journey if they hear their concerns in your proposals and the positions that you're taking moving forward i think i had to learn my leadership style as well i think when you're younger you mimic those that you perceive to be successful and that may or may not work with personality and your your approach and so i think really being not just doing and driving, but really being attuned to what works for you and your personality. And did it really work? Was it really effective or not? So really seeking feedback around that is important. It's very calm. <laughs> I, I've worked for some and with some super passionate, aggressive, somewhat crazy people at different times that I've seen a lot of success from and tried to mimic some of that. And it just doesn't work for me. My natural personality is one of calm that people feel when when the world is crumbling around them that I am a rock there. I have listened and I can help guide and provide calm guidance uh, and direction that is is useful and, and, and valuable. I'm very I'm up I approach things from an operational standpoint. I, so I've always been focused on making things operate better, helping businesses operate better, helping people operate better to accomplish an outcome, as opposed to starting up uh, a new idea or driving a new idea. So part of what I try to do is make sure that I I, I embrace and find the, the creative and the creators in the business and give them the space to be successful, knowing that's not my strong strongest suit. 
I like that you said that you're operational because too many times we hear that leaders are not supposed to get in to the operational, right? That it's supposed to be bigger picture strategy. I I know when I sit on a, a you know a fair number of corporate uh, boards, public and private and charitable, but especially the corporate boards, I'm told all the time. Um, never mind in my role, otherwise in my day to day life, that don't get operational, don't get operational, um, because it is sometimes my tendency also. And so having that balance or or kind of pushing that notion away that you should as a leader. Um, be operational is 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 something unique, I think. Yeah, I think it it's so important to understand how things work, like at every level of a business. That you know, as I I, I get to, or at, at least in the past, hasn't happened here in the last couple of years. But in the past, I've spoke at universities. I spoke to a lot of students and and people early in their careers. And one of the things I always really touched on was it's so important to understand how the company that you work for makes money, like really understand how it makes money. It doesn't matter what job you're in, uh, but truly understand how the company makes money. And is the company good at doing this thing? And then assess your role. What is your role in helping the company accomplish this or the organization accomplish this, this goal, this outcome that you're trying to have? And as you assess that and your importance in that and what your interest is, that can help guide you from a career standpoint, early in your career, it's how do you understand um, and have a broader set of experiences around that outcome so that you can be a more valuable company and you can think about your your goal. Because if your goal is to rise higher in an organization, then you've got to get closer and closer to uh, that set of activities that drive and influence how the company makes makes more money. And if you find yourself in a position that Associated in any way with how the company makes money and supporting the company making money, then you should probably question uh, the role that you're in uh, and and figure out a new role or a new company. So I want to switch gears a little bit to talking about the success that you had as the CIO, COO of Zendesk, growing it from 200 million to a billion dollar company quadrupling the size also to 4,000 employees, sorry. And so I've heard you talk a lot about the workplace culture and how important it is. And so talk to me a little bit about your methodology to see that growth and how workplace culture really helps the bottom line. Yeah, you know, Zendesk was a great, I mean, it was a, it was a difficult change for me coming out of really large retail into a smaller high growth tech company. But it was my first experience in a young company where the culture was still forming. And so the, the, the company and the idea and the product had been developed in Denmark uh, and brought to the U.S. The company was growing really rapidly. It had some really good principles around it that were kind of startup principles. And what we got to go through in the four and a half years I was there is kind of the growing up. We were in the teenage years, early teenage years of the company it was the growing up and the maturing of some of those startup principles. But, the, uh, but building a culture around openness, around transparency, around being empathetic and being humble, it was a really good set of values that got planted in the company early that we just expounded on as we were growing uh, and scaling the business. And we really 
took it to heart in the recruiting uh, as we thought about who we were bringing into the business and the performance management of how we uh, performance managed, how we thought about the leadership team and the, and the leadership table and, and how they represented those values uh, as well. It's a lot of work and it's, it's hard if you don't get it right early, it's possible to fix, but it's a lot of work um, to, to go back and fix it. If your values are off uh, for what you need to build, build a great company. I, I understand that you have some entrepreneurial ventures yourself personally. Yeah. I, I've always enjoyed small businesses, having grown up working inside of small businesses. And my time with Ernst & Young, the 12 years I was there, I was based out of Atlanta the whole time. And I've, I've always kept a base in Atlanta. And through that network of colleagues and friends, we, we've created some different investment groups. And so um, with um, a small group of friends, we, we own a couple of corner grocery stores uh, around Atlanta um, that are kind of neighborhood-based, community-based um, grocery stores that has been a ton of fun. We've been doing that for close to 15 years now uh, and continue to, to look for opportunities um, to do more of that. It's really, it's just enjoyable to be part of the fabric of a neighborhood that has neighborhood and that wants to uh, have points of reference and points of pride in the neighborhood and kind of building that rapport. So that's been really fun. Do that with some different real estate, apartment buildings and things like that around Atlanta. I've traded some hours for equity and a men's bespoke apparel uh, company uh, that makes men's suits and shirts and has now expanded into women's clothing out of New York City. I spent some time with them and order most of my clothes from them. And same with some, some other companies here in San Francisco. And I've always been interested in taking like small ownership positions in companies. So quite a few small companies uh, when they're, they're starting up, nothing, I've not, I've not landed on like an early investment in Google or something like that. These are small ideas that are people that I enjoy uh, that uh, turn into something or some kind, sometimes they don't, but it give you a ground level uh, investment, usually with a, a founder uh, and you can advise and you can listen and hear some of the challenges and you, you always learn from it. And so some, what are some of the advice that you bring to those startup businesses that, from your background? Part of it is, do, do, does their pitch make sense? Like, do I understand it? So asking a lot of questions, recommending how to clarify the pitch or how the pitch could be tightened up. If it's a scale-oriented, an idea that's taken hold, ideas on scale and how to step into scale lightly. but importantly to to take any friction out of if you're if it really takes off what it would take to to scale how to think about leadership it's always a question in a startup of like when do you bring on the number two the number three the number five the number ten because everyone every person you bring on there's a responsibility and there's a cost associated with that those kind of things practical life life experiences from working in companies so what do you think makes a good pitch? Uh, a clear understanding of the problem you're trying to solve, I think, helps um, a, a rational and authentic and realistic approach to the opportunity. You know, it's not something that's untethered from reality. You, you get a lot of those 
some some spark of this person has the innovation and the fire to 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 see this uh, through. So there's an authenticity, but there's a there's just a little bit more around the the fire and the creativeness that it's going to take to pull this off. Because as you know, these are long, long, hard journeys, and so you've got to have some some grit and some fortitude and some creativity to to pull it pull it off. I always like to say pitches are the transfer of passion. You know, when you're hearing um, a pitch, you really do have to get that person and their passion for um, the business, the idea, because uh, we don't eat, sleep and breathe it as the one who's listening to the pitch like they do. So with the um, tech integration into business, something that is constantly changing, I feel, and I think most businesses would feel the same way. Um, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you see small businesses making um, when it comes to social media or just other technology that they're using? It's been really interesting. The pandemic has really exposed local businesses and their connectivity um, with technology. Um, and in San Francisco, we get, I got, I'm on Russian Hill, we get, I get a full dose of you know, technology first, like restaurants and dry cleaners and, you know, the place to get your nails done and traditional kind of paper-based and how they have navigated as California has, you know, partially opened, opened, pulled back, closed. Our rules have changed a lot. And so it's been very, you know, back and forth for all of these, uh, these businesses and the ones that have been able to, to navigate it are the ones that are technically savvy. They're able to communicate to their customers and the prospects. They're able to take advantage of where those customers are. They had a relationship before and they've built on that through social. They create special offers. You know, we've been shut down again. We're only doing takeout at this this point and so forth. So I think it's up the game of everyone recognizing we need to leverage technology in a very different way and that our customers are all on social, all of them at every age. And so we've got to invest a little bit of time. They don't have much time. These businesses in many cases have been crushed. Uh, so it's like the founder is cooking and serving you or, you know, it's just, you know, they're, they're, they're down to nothing. In San Francisco, we've been able to dining build out into the streets so we've we've created a whole outdoor dining culture that didn't really exist uh before which has been really cool to see but there is uh the the businesses that have invested some time in social and being geographically specific and really targeting customers and keeping that dialogue going and recognizing that this is a valuable part of their their day have been successful and have been able to to navigate this, a lot of businesses have it and unfortunately have disappeared. We've got a lot of a lot of empty storefronts. The power that social gives small businesses, especially it's all businesses, but small businesses to really target and have an ongoing dialogue um, is a game changer for them because they can be proactive with their messaging, proactive with their their brand, and interactive with their their customers, having to 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 wait for the traditional forms of dialogue that they've had in their business previously. 
It's interesting because um, the creation of Hootsuite, and now you as the CEO, of course, um, as Canadians, we know it as one of Vancouver's most notable tech success stories, definitely was and is a pioneer in social media management software and continues to lead the pack. And so what are you guys doing at Hootsuite that that is really not only going to help small businesses today, but in the future that we should all be you know paying attention to. You guys modernized um, social media in a, a really really incredible way to help not only navigate the time it takes because I think most people, like you mentioned, small businesses would say that we don't have the time, and you really made it unbelievably streamlined for that. And so I think, you know, last I read, you're at 18 million users and growing every day. Talk to me about a little bit about how you continue to innovate and, and lead the pack with that. Hootsuite's a great, a great company. It, it's uh, it, it definitely, it's a 12 year old company now. It definitely led the way into this social media management space. I think the one of the dynamics that is happening in social media, social media is not static. If you look at Twitter versus Facebook versus Instagram and LinkedIn and Pinterest and now TikTok, all of these products are evolving in different ways. Some which are more friendly to businesses or to nonprofits or, or to governments and some which are not. And there is, if, if, if you didn't start social first as your business, it's daunting to think about where to engage uh, and who to engage with and how do I navigate such a dynamic set of environments that some which require instant replies uh, to things. And so what we've got is a tool set that connects with them all. We've got a whole lot of uh, information and capabilities around enabling businesses to successfully navigate them that are experts in this as well that can coach businesses of all sides because our you know our superpower is we've got you know over 200,000 paying customers over 18 million free customers so we've got this really big base and diverse base of types of businesses and size of business because we go from the largest businesses in the world to uh, Joe's Pizza Shop right around the corner on our our product but it's a horizontal product. It's one product. That's the beauty of SaaS that's available to them. So they can be as sophisticated as they want. We've got not just publishing and being able to schedule your publishing on when you want to publish. If you decide that as your local business, you want to focus on leveraging Facebook and Facebook's you know, geo capabilities to, to, to post organic or, or paid kind of advertising. But we've also got listening tools, which allow you to listen to what's being said, if something's being said about your product or your brand out there. So you can react if, if something is, is happening, or you can participate if it's a conversation, a neighborhood conversation, let's say that you want to want to participate in. We've got tools for your employees. So a big thing in businesses really of all size, it, sizes is you want your company's message, your brand, your product message shared by your employees into their social media networks as well. So we've got a series of tools that will that allow for that to happen. We've got a social care set of products that enable you to be able to, like a traditional kind of service desk, help desk, to be able to respond to if, if, if there's a product question or if there's an issue um, to, to catch and to route to the right 
in, in your office. So if you're running a small business and you don't have time to monitor everything, you want to be notified if, if something is wrong. If there's a service that's wrong or there's a product that's wrong or someone has a complaint. And so uh, how's the workflow to route that to the right place to get resolved and so forth. So it's a sophisticated set of tools that we try to make very simple for the simplest of businesses and can get more sophisticated and has really endless scale as you get into bigger organizations. And that set of capabilities um, are easy to digest now for the most basic of technological skilled uh, founders and business owners. Very important. Very important. Not only time-saving, but easy to use. And and I think that that's one of the keys to Hootsuite's success is that it is easy to use and that as everybody is learning, because as you say, social media is not static because you do feel like you have to relearn it every week (laughs) because the algorithms are changing or the features are changing and, and there are so many more platforms coming, whether you decide for your business where you need, you want to be and how you want to show up there, a lot of decisions to be made. And so in your opinion, does, should every business be online? Should they, should they be on social media? For sure. For sure. It's the, the barriers to entry are just so light and it, it's so easy. There are so many tools that are out there to help you create interesting content. There's so many guides to teach you the timing and when you should actually do things. There, all of our kids are growing up on this. There, the expertise that you're calling on for social media can be teenagers. My my daughter is the the social media lead for the restaurant that she's a hostess at. It's the, there's this it, the the barriers to entry are are light, and you can create really interesting relationships and communication threads around that. And I do believe that the pandemic significantly sped up the adoption of social media. We see over half the world's population is active on social media. Now the platforms themselves are trace are treating businesses really seriously uh, as they think about the capabilities that they want to enable for, for businesses. So as we think about like where social commerce is going, which is a bigger and bigger thing uh, and really becoming a layer above e-commerce as to the entry point of, 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 of advertising specific products at specific people who want that product at the right time and being the door into e-commerce. We believe social will become the dominant place and the dominant starting point for, for e-commerce as the messaging platforms evolve and become dominant places of where we communicate with each other, but also with businesses those become a dominant form of communication of WhatsApp or WeChat or a line or you know signal or there's a there's an endless amount of them, but they're they're all of their usage is growing as well. Yeah, we believe that every business is a digital business and uh, and should be leveraging these tools. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tom. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And hope it when you when you're able to fly uh, to Canada and Vancouver that we can share a beer together. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And thank you, Tom, for speaking with me today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to follow the show so you can hear new episodes as soon as they're released. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.